feel like everybody in football has their own journey. And sometimes I get this question of, you know, like, how do I become a coach or how do I become a pro player? Or how do I get to wherever they want to get? And it's such a hard, like, you want to help guide people in the right direction. But at the same time, it's not like, it's not like a, it's not like a recipe, you know, it's a, everybody has their own journey and you can't compare or use someone else's journey because they went through, you know, their own obstacles, but their own pathway to get to where they wanted. And I feel like I'm just the same. And, and as much as I really want to help people and especially from the Ottawa community, it's, it's like, it's not an, and I always feel bad because I give them an answer and I kind of think then after and say, that answer probably didn't really help them, you know? So, well, I like, I think it does. Cause like, I think, uh, you know, one cool thing about like, about doing this podcast, is, like talking to people like yeah. you and, and, you know, finding out everyone's journey. Cause like almost everyone's got some similarities in, you know, mm-hmm. just like how, like how they get to, to where they get to. Um, but also there's, you know, there's differences. Cause especially, you know, especially being in Canada where like, they're just the paths to, you know, higher levels, just, uh, just aren't as clear as they are other places. Like, I think it probably, like, I think it probably does actually help people to hear that n- no path seems to be the same. So if they're on a path that looks different from everyone else's, that's actually okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the big part is it's, uh, you put it rightfully. So like, it's okay that their pathway is not like someone else's pathway. You know, they could still get there. That's, that's the the part that the message that I like to get across to people when they ask me is that, you know, okay, well, they're in this environment, they face these challenges, but it's, it's possible still to get exactly, to whatever yeah. goal they want to get to. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Jay Bindi, assistant coach for Valor FC. Uh, Jay, welcome to the show. Great to finally meet you. Um, now, I do want to say um, before we get going that I wrote a season preview on apartment613.ca and I made a prediction that Valor FC, this is really hard for me, but I made a prediction that they're going to finish top of the table by the end of the season. Uh, what did you think of that prediction? It's a, it's a, it's a very bold prediction um, because one thing I learned last year in this league is that the, the margin for error is so small and uh, anybody could be any, any given day. And uh, that's honestly, I think, the beauty of this league. You know, you see some leagues that people follow in the world, for example, if... Uh, a very small team that just got promoted in Spain goes to uh, Real Madrid. More likely than not, if you're going to put your money, you're going to put your money in Real Madrid. But in, in this league, uh, I find it's, and I, and I lived it last year with, with Edmonton, is uh, anybody can be anybody on any given day. So it forces you to be your best every single week. And uh, that's our goal, obviously, is to be the best every, uh, every single week. And our goal is to meet your prediction and uh, and finish first and that's going to take a lot of work from everybody and uh, possible but very difficult so what i'm hearing is that maybe i should have gone with my heart and gone with atletico ottawa <laughs> <laughs> but i'm going to stick with valor i'm going to stick with yeah. valor that it was what my gut was saying at the time so i'll stick with that for now but uh First, so first, I want to ask uh, the question that I asked pretty much all my guests first. You know, soccer. Like, how did you first get started in the sport? First, the the love of the love of the game comes from my my family heritage, uh, which is uh, my family is from Turkey, and uh, my family is very passionate when it comes to when it comes to soccer, and I feel like I get that uh, in my blood through through my through my ethnic background. 
And uh, since I was young, I I played and I and I followed the game very well. And uh, you know, when I was young, I every year I bought FIFA and uh, played countless hours. Um, and then go going to the park with friends, playing on teams, and just watching a lot on TV. Uh, so I think the love, if to sum up that question, the love of the game just comes from my my Turkish heritage. And for people that uh, are familiar with fan base in Turkey, it's a very passionate people when it comes to to soccer. So uh, I, I carry that with me uh, for the game in, in my blood. You know, you said that you uh, that you bought FIFA every year. What was your first FIFA game? Honestly, I can remember uh, even when I was really young and not owning, but my uncle uh, always bought FIFA for PC. And uh, I can't even remember how we did it, but we, we would play against each other. But we only had keyboard and mouse. And I feel like the keyboard was split in half because at that time there was probably only like four buttons uh, plus whatever direction. Yeah. Um, that must. I'm going to say that I can remember like FIFA 96 or 97. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Hey, my uncle was very, really, really big in, into FIFA. And so I just like, when I was young, I would watch him play. And then as I got to realize how I could play also, I just played along with him. And then it just became a routine as I got older. And I still do it until this day. I buy FIFA every year. Um, obviously, I play it way more or less than I used to. But I remember being up late at night hours playing FIFA. So that's something that uh, that always stayed in, in a part of my life and still does uh, today. If I have an hour to kill, which is rare, sometimes I'll, especially in the winter and with, with COVID, it helps me a lot to turn on my PlayStation and play FIFA. Okay, so playing in real life, um, you know, I'm like not surprised to take her that you did play. Um, like what position did you play usually? So I wasn't a very good, like I was okay, but I, I didn't play professionally uh, like a lot of coaches or, um, or at the university level, like a lot of coaches have done. Uh, but when I was younger, I was, I started, I played mostly as a winger. And then as I got older, I sometimes played in, in, into midfield, but I would say majority of the time I played as a winger. And I remember my, I was just a guy to as this coach I had for two or three years. It was a, uh, direct balls into the corner and I would go get them. Uh, I was taller always uh, for my age. So I had, I have long legs. So my, my strides were long so I could get there. And then uh, it's just to send the ball in the box type thing. So when you were growing up, did you have like a favorite team or like a favorite player? So one thing about me since I was younger and still till today, I watch and follow a lot of soccer, a lot of leagues. And people always ask me, you know, what's your favorite team? And it's such a hard question because I like, vigorously have always followed a lot of leagues and a lot of soccer in general if i had to pick one uh i go with the team from from my my family's country in turkey and i pick fenerbahce this is probably the team that i as a fan today uh can still sit back and watch just as a fan and, and that my little the little boy inside of me comes out um so i'll say them and i would probably say second to that uh, that really kind of kick-started me into really focusing and watching a lot of uh, soccer was Inter Milan in like 2000 to around 2000. Um, they had some, they signed uh, two Turkish players and I just fell in love with, it was, it, it was timing, you know, I was kind of at that age where I could really commit to watching sports and following, you know, standings and rosters and things like this. So I would say those two teams 
favorite player growing up. I don't know why, but I always had this fascination for Ricardo Quaresma. And I don't know if it was like uh, his famous always just crossing the ball with the outside of his foot because he couldn't use his uh, weaker foot. And <laughs> very, very, very tricky and explosive to get out of spaces. And uh, since when he was young and I followed his career and, and again, he had a stop at Inter Milan. So it was like, uh, I guess that's, that's one player. That, yeah. One player that sticks out to, to me since I was young and that he kind of like made me fall in love with uh, being a winger also too. And, uh, you know, I followed his career through FC Porto and then, you know, small stints in Barcelona, Chelsea, Inter Milan, I guess never really lived up to his true potential and then played a lot in Turkey um kind of had like a career revival and he was a big big fan favorite in turkey for uh, for two stints about three years each so football is such a small small world so you say that you follow like a lot of leagues um are there any uh that people might think are maybe a bit more obscure that you follow probably not i mean like i follow the turkish league just because it's my me sure. and my family we, we we watch and follow vigorously and i would say in my heart, it's probably the only league that I can, or only games and only league that I can actually sit down and watch just purely as a fan. Um, if I'm watching Champions League or if I'm watching the Premier League, I'm, I still subconsciously have that coach hat on of watching, okay, you know, how are Chelsea playing in this game and what are they doing to break down the opposition? But uh, the only league I can watch without that hat and that eye is the Turkish League because, again, it's my the little boy inside of me comes out and just sits there and gets passionate and gets emotional uh, as a fan. Um, but yeah, I follow all kinds of leagues, the MLS, the Premier League, obviously the big leagues, Premier League, Italian League, uh, German League, a lot. I, I try to keep tabs on a lot of it and I spend a lot of my weekends watching game after game after game. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you said that, uh, you know, your boyhood team Fenerbahce, by the way, like I, I so rarely hear the team name said out loud. Did I say it right? Yeah. Fenerbahce. Said, like okay, you, Fenerbahce. you said it pretty good. Just the E at the end, you pronounce oh, okay, Fenerbahce. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you had the chance to, to do like a, a stint with them. Can you tell us a bit about yeah. that? Yeah. 2015. Like amazing for you. Yeah, honestly, it was such a cool uh, experience. 2015, I went to, to Turkey for a month and did uh, three kind of uh, coaching um, education internships at, uh, at in Turkey. And one of the clubs was uh, Fenerbahce. And um, it was first the little boy inside of me, the soccer fan was so excited. You know, wow, I get to be here in, in, uh, in the facilities of the academy and meet all kinds of people that, that work in the club and uh, players that are up and coming and coaching staffs. And I learned, I learned a lot. Uh, it was really cool experience to just be a sponge and, and learn so much from people that, that work there that I still speak with today. And yeah, it was a really great experience. You know, you're still a young guy. Like how old are you? 30. Okay. Yeah. So, and yet you've already got like a lot of years coaching under your belt. Um, like when did you first start coaching and like, why was that something that you wanted to pursue? Uh, so I started coaching very young. I kind of, you know, in my late teenage years, six, 17, 18, I, I knew that I wanted to get into coaching. Um, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't that guy that said, you know, I want to be a, 
pro and try to go overseas and, and play. And then if I can't do that, I'll coach. No, I, like I, I knew I wanted to be a coach, in my, in my, like I said, in my late teens. Um, and I kind of just at 21, just stopped playing altogether and said, I'm going to, whatever free time I have, I'm going to devote myself to developing and learning how to be a coach and, and coach. So at the end of 2011 is when I first kind of started coaching um, getting involved with the auto fury. Uh, at that time it was the pre professional uh, stage of the club. So it was still that, uh, high performance Academy. And I spent hours not paid just, uh, with working with different coaches, you know, being around the facility and staying for, you know, a back to back session and okay, who's on tonight and just see different age groups, how, how they interact and with the, you know, boys, girls, 13, 17, and uh, got to travel uh, on weekends to to games as well. So that was kind of my first entry into into coaching. And it was a lot of time devotion, but it was something that I was really committed to and really passionate about. I didn't mind giving up uh, a lot of my free time to do that. So 21, I would say. Um, so I definitely want to talk about, about your time with the Fury. But, um, but first I wanted to ask is... Uh, because you've had time with Ottawa South United as well. Um, yeah. And uh, so you've got experience coaching at, at that uh, Division Three level, um, kind of in the PLSQ, I believe. Yeah, um, and League One Ontario. And League One Ontario, yeah. yeah. So um, I want to get your thoughts on either like the state of the sport at that level or like the future, um, like what you see as the future of the sport at that level. Because, you know, like League One Ontario announced that they'll be introducing promotion relegation. You know, League One Canada was announced for like a more united direction at that level. Like, do you think that those are signs that, you know, soccer is headed in the right direction in this country? I definitely, I definitely do. I think uh, programs like uh, the League One Ontario and the PLSQ were something that was important to me as a coach. And uh, after, after I was finished with my time at the Ottawa Fury, I, I knew that I wanted to be in professional football uh, as a career. And I knew that I needed to stay around the highest level of play that was accessible for me. And at that time was uh, League One Ontario and, and uh, with, with Ottawa South United. Um, and they were, you know, a club that, that wanted to put resources towards a program like that. And I got to meet people like uh, Dino Rossi, who's the commissioner, Anthony Totera, who was a big part of uh, League One Ontario and, and the birth of the CPL. And I felt I needed to stay around that environment if I wanted to be involved when the CPL was coming because, you know, those talks were, were murmured around for a while before the actual kickoff of, this, of the league. And I think League One Ontario definitely played a massive part in what the CPL is today. Um, I remember Anthony Tutera involving me in a, in a League One CPL combine, me and three other coaches across the province that, the, that League One Ontario um, hand selected and I got to meet people that were involved in the CPL and I got to see the best players of League One Ontario that weren't signed and there was a lot of players from League One Ontario that were signed and I felt like it was a very good foundation and a very good feeder to what the CPL was going to be and I remember uh, one game coaching with Ottawa South United in League One Ontario 2018 and Sigma came to Ottawa and they beat us 8 nothing. And uh, we were a team very young. 
uh, guys that were just going, a lot of guys were going into their first year at Carlton, you know, 17 years old. And I'm going to tell you some players that were on that team. Tejon Buchanan scored three goals before halftime. Uh, Tristan Borges. Um, Dom Samuel, who plays for Forge. Uh, and there's, there was at least four other guys from the starting 11 that were playing in the CPL the following year. So it was pretty much playing a CPL team in League One Ontario. Uh, and obviously, Tejan Buchanan is Tejan Buchanan. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so that, that uh, you know, provided a platform for players that at that time, you know, if you weren't at TFC, Montreal, Vancouver, uh, or the Fury, you weren't really, you had to play in League One Ontario to try to, or you had to go somewhere overseas. Um, and people like Chris Manella played in League One Ontario. Um, so I think that that was a very good platform for pre-CPL. And I think post-CPL, it's going to be a great platform for uh, young players to get recognition and prove themselves at a very good level. Um, obviously with more League One franchises and League One franchises that are elevating the bar for everybody, uh, forcing everyone to become better. Uh, people like the project with Julian de Guzman at Simcoe, uh, the project in Peterborough with Electric City, is now forcing the other League One franchise and say, mm, we need to be better also. So it's just elevating that and it's attracting the best players, I would say, even at, as young as 16 to however old you are, into one, one area. And that way you're competing the best against the best week in and week out. Uh, you know, they put on a good game day uh, operations with good, high, very high standards. Um, and, and it's an opportunity for coaches as well to prove themselves and to try to make a name for themselves or, or, or try to help develop the next CPL player or even beyond. I, I look at someone like Patrice, who's at Vaughn. The, the list of players that that guy's worked with uh, from that have come out of that Vaughn of, you know, the Alistair Johnsons, the Dane St. Clairs. It's, um, it's, it's only going to get, it's only going to get better and uh, gives an opportunity for players that play in university to play somewhere in the summer um, because, you know, the, the university league has its obstacles and challenges. Um, so the league one, I think the league one BC, the way I've been following it, it looks like it's very, aligning themselves with uh, programs like UBC and, and Trinity Western to try to keep the players all together and uh, playing competing against each other and the platform. And, um, you know, like you mentioned the league one Canada with CSB, what they're doing. And I think it's just going to, it's going to be great for young Canadians to, to, to try to make that jump. It's that, it's that gap that was, that was not there before. You know, you went from playing in your local club to huh, let me see if I can now play in the MLS. But now there's the there's that that gap for 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, well, however old you are to help develop yourself, get better and make a name for yourself on a on a national on a national scale. So, yeah, you were a coach with the Fury for a long time. Um, and that's how you first met Phil DeSantos, uh, who is a assistant to Mark, of course. Um, do you remember what your first impressions of Phil were? Yeah. Um, so Phil came into the academy uh, when the club was going through that, that 
evolution from being a high performance youth academy to a professional club. And uh, obviously Mark was named the head coach and Phil was the assistant coach, but also uh, acting as the director of the academy. And uh, when Phil came in, we were all kind of blown away, I would say, with the how much he wanted to elevate the standards. And right away he came in with, a, with an idea and was so you could tell when, when we, he would have presentations to us and laying out, okay, this is kind of what the future of this club is going to look like in terms of academy. And this is why we're doing the academy. And this is going to be our methodology and the way of work. We were kind of just like, it's something that we didn't have before. Um, and, and not just having a professional team, but, you know, having a, a methodology and a way of work. And, and uh, me being a young coach at the time, uh, I think I was 24 when Phil came and we first met, I was, wow, you know, I want to, I want to learn and be around as much as I can, because I feel like this is really opening up my eyes to, to another level or another way of thinking in, in terms of how to coach. And, and, and I really believed in, um, you know, his vision for developing or giving something to their soccer community of Ottawa that didn't exist, a pathway to play for a professional team in your own city. Um, and the layers that come with that of this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to coach the, the players. This is how we're going to set up training sessions. This is the league that we're going to compete in, which was PLSQ at the time. Um, and it was all exciting and, and, and it was a big, it was a big wow. That was, yeah, that was my first impressions. Yeah. Phil's always good for like a good quote. Um, he, <laughs> does he keep things pretty light, like in the offices and like, like in the dressing room? But yeah. Look, Phil is, um, he's, 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 in, he's, he's been experienced, you know, he's, he's worked uh, not just with Mark, he's worked with other coaches at the professional level and uh, he's, he knows what it's like to be in locker rooms um, in North America and in, in these type of leagues. And uh, obviously being, around Mark for many years and everybody knows kind of the, the man management uh, repertoire that Mark has uh, that, that Phil has, has those attributes as well. And at the end of the day, this is coaching and we can't be robots. So there is time for us to be a bit loose and, 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 and nobody wants to be around a robot or, or a person that's a drill sergeant, you know, and um, Phil's the type of person that's very serious about, about what our job is, but at the same time, he's, we're all human and, and we're, we interact with people on a daily basis. And, you know, we want to build that camaraderie with the group. And uh, that's something that, that's one of his biggest strengths is, is that, that man management part of managing a locker and managing people and for that you need people skills. So. You've experienced life as a coach, you know, with the Fury uh, when they were in the NASL, were you with them when they jumped to the USL as well? So I left the, or is that just before? Just before I left, I left. Yeah, just before that. Okay, and yeah, that. So you went to Austin in USL, um, and then uh, came to FC Edmonton last year, um, and the CPL. And now you're with Valor. So um, you know, obviously the NASL doesn't exist anymore, um, yeah. but uh, but you've experienced life um, in the USL as well as the CPL now, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people when the CPL was first starting, especially, you know, fans of, F- of FC Edmonton and the Ottawa Fury were also like curious what the differences would be between the USL and the CPL. 
Um, would you say that there's any, like besides the Canadian content uh, and the CPL, like are there any significant differences between the two leagues? I would say more or less from infrastructure perspective, because this is public knowledge, but the CPL operates on a salary cap, for example. Um, and uh, roster construction uh, rules are different than, than the USL. And the USL has had uh, history, like it's been around for a while. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's gone under, I wouldn't even say rebranding, but ev- evolution. Kind of, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, CPL, you know, obviously with the pandemic, like there hasn't been much history. You know, year one had a, had a different structure of the two-part season and the playoff was different. And then year two was a tournament in PEI of handful of games. And then last year was a half bubble, uh, very condensed. And then this year is uh, different than year one because it's eight teams and top four make the playoffs. It's not a two-part season. So there's no real like history in this league where the USL, there's, there's a history. Uh, there's a history of uh, teams like the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, for example, uh, and, and a Louisville City, um, and those teams, you know, have have. Uh, there's a Cincinnati that that went in and broke records that knocked out teams in the U.S. Open Cup. So um, there's more historic culture of uh, of that than 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 the CPL right now, and the CPL is carving its own path. You know, uh, for example, the USL doesn't have access to the CONCACAF uh, Champions League. The only way a USL team could go is by winning the Open Cup. And they'd have to go through quite a few MLS teams to do that. Whereas in the CPL, you know, you have the winner that goes, and we saw what happened to Forge. Um, You know, they're running the CONCACAF League and then going to the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, So that's a difference just just based on the Canadian League being uh, classified as a first division through CONCACAF and the USL. being classified as a second division to to the MLS, so it's a it's a conversation that people like to explore. But it's, uh, when you dig down to the roots of it, it's uh, it's you can't compare the two because it's just they're set up just so differently. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, so the club has two young players from Ottawa, Tony McHale and Matteo De Brienne. Um, were you familiar with these players before the season? Yeah, and the Ottawa, the Ottawa soccer, I mean, the soccer community in the world is actually very small, but uh, the Ottawa soccer community is very small. So uh, I've known of Matteo and, and Tony for a long time, just like uh, I've known Kareem Sal from Halifax for a long time, and uh, Stefan Karadjavanovic, who was in the Halifax last year for a long time, uh, Abdou Samake, who was in Pacific. So the the Ottawa, like I said, the Ottawa soccer community is very small, and you. You get to know everybody, and uh, and those guys know know me as well. So it's just uh, you know you along your pathway you come across players that uh, make it to the make it to the top. I, I worked uh, at Louis Riel in this Boratib program, and I got to work one season with uh, Jonathan David. So the Ottawa soccer community is so small that you come across everybody. So you also do video analysis for Valor, um, and like I know lots of. Uh, you know, the diehard fans like to consider uh, themselves like pretend scouts when they're watching games. Um, when you like when you're putting together like a video package to you know to analyze, can you put us like in the in the headspace of a coach? Like, what kinds of things are you looking for? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I get that a lot. Video analysis is something that uh, that I started. I actually started to do it with the Ottawa Fury 
Um, again, I was when Paul uh, when Paul Dalglish came in, um, there was an uh, assistant coach slash video analysis that was also brought in in the name uh, Nikola Leposavic, and uh, he came from Serbia, and he just came fresh off winning the U20 World Cup with Serbia at that time, and uh, he did a lot of the video analysis stuff for for Paul, and um, me being the young ambitious guy I am, I said. To, to Nicole, I said, "Hey, can I sit beside you while you do this and just learn?" It's it was, it's a part that I never got to explore, and I want to explore it because I want to work in professional football one day, and I want to have a multi skill set. And he was very open. He said, "Yeah, okay, come." And uh, I worked with him and just watching him. And then he had to leave for personal reasons back to Serbia. And uh, while Paul was trying to fill that role, I filled that role on an interim basis for six games, putting together the uh, op- uh, analyzing the opposition and putting together video packages of them and video packages of our post game for Paul, and uh, that kind of was like my first introduction to video analysis. Um, and I said, you know, it's something I'm going to keep in my back pocket because I want to be marketable as a coach. I want to be able to sell myself with multi skill sets. And then for Austin, I did the same. I did uh, opposition analysis and video video analysis for them. And um, it's part of one of my many hats that I wore in Edmonton and same in Valor. And everywhere I've went, it's been, uh, it's been different because uh, different head coaches have different styles and how they want to use video. Uh, some coaches want to use it more. Some coaches want to use it less. Some coaches want to use it in a, in a certain way. Some coaches just want to use it for individual players some coaches want to use it for team meetings um so everywhere i've gone it's been it's been different and that's allowed me to just grow in that in that skill set and um especially in in you know leagues where you don't have millions of dollars of budget where you can hire so many people to do so many jobs you have to wear multi-hats and um that's an example in Edmonton and, and Valor that I had as part of my role is to do anything revolving around to video and, and opposition and stuff like that. So it's uh, all depends on what the head coach wants to use it for. Uh, I'll use an example from Ottawa. Paul uh, wanted to do video sessions based on the opposition at a, on a certain uh, certain day of the week and wants to do our post-game video sessions the day the day after. Uh, in Austin, uh, the coach only wanted to do videos for the opposition. He didn't need to do video for the game that we, a post game, for example. He he was a you know, we're, and especially it's the USL very connected. But we're moving on. Some coaches, for example, in Austin, not every week at halftime we showed a video clip because halftime goes by so fast that uh, there's not much time to show four or five clips. So maybe some weeks we use one clip at halftime. Maybe those weeks we use none. Um, so it's very dynamic. It's, it's, it's very dynamic. And you also got to know your time reality. You know, if you're playing sun, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, there's not a lot of time to, to cover everything video wise, because if you want to work on the field or vice versa, maybe you want to do more video this week because, um, it's such a heavy week on the legs that you're not going to go on the, on the field and do 90 minute training sessions every day. So. It's a very, very dynamic uh, role, if that uh, answers your question. Um, so you've been coaching a long time uh, and, uh, you know, mostly in Canada, sometime in the States, but mostly in Canada. 
uh, you've coached a lot of younger players in like different systems. Um, if you could like wave a magic wand and change one thing about how we develop players in Canada, what would it be? I think um, one thing, and, and I learned this lesson from Phil actually, uh, and then I saw it come to fruition, was access to high-level competition. And uh, I'll give you the example. So when 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 I was working with Phil in the in the academy of the Ottawa Fury, we put our two academy teams, so our U17 team, which was made up of 15 and 16 year olds, and our U19 team, which was made up of 17 to 20 year olds or 19 year olds, sorry, uh, in the PLSQ reserve and the PLSQ senior, and uh, that was a way for them to compete against the best players of Quebec at the semi-pro level. Um, and have a proper calendar structure. So for example, you know every week you're getting a game, whether it's home or away. Uh, you know that there's a table. And if there's a playoff format, for example, you know that shit, we're six points behind. We have to make sure that, you know, we're, we're going on the road to the first place team. Let's do we have do we have to adjust? Do we have to adjust, you know, the the how we press for example? I'm just throwing a hypothetical. Uh, theory but all those things are part of player development like if you don't have a proper access to a good competition that you're playing week in and week out with a table you know with points uh, with going on the road with playing at home you're missing that key component of competition and to say that a player is going to go through his youth and not have that and then suddenly become a pro and learn what it takes to fly to Halifax and play in Halifax on grass in a, in a, in a, maybe a game that you're chasing for the playoffs and you, a, a draw won't be good enough. It's, it's not true. It's uh, that's something that's, you can't ask the player to just switch it on. So I think to answer your question is access to, for everybody across the country, this is not just uh, it's easy in Toronto, but there's a big country. There's Winnipeg, there's, Saskatchewan, there's all places. And obviously, BC is, has caught on the train of the League One Ontario or the League One BC, sorry, is giving these players access to a structured, high level competition. I think that's going to be huge for the next step of the growth of this game in this country. Um, that's going to become super, super important because at the end of the day, when you're, when you step on the grass, you're competing. It's a competition. Uh, when you step into a season, it's uh, a competition of however long your season is. And like I said, if there's top four, make the playoffs, you know, you got to learn how to cope with that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that, you know, I think people are noticing is, uh, you know, with these league ones, the, you know, in the PLSQs, you know, there's, I think there's more, I think there's getting to be more opportunities for players to shine. And, uh, you know, for the people paying attention, like there's, you know, there's more players who are kind of getting more of a chance to make a name for themselves and maybe fewer absolutely yeah and maybe fewer players kind of falling through those cracks that used to be enormous you know yeah i think it's it's huge look uh if i i'm i'm gonna think of players that were part of that that group in ottawa that uh, we went to the plsq and people thought we were crazy and even the other teams in the league and the plsq thought we were crazy playing 16 year olds but i think and especially me knowing those kids and they're men now. I think of names of Gabby Batar, uh, Stefan Karajovanovic, uh, a lot of guys that, that are in the Carlton Ravens program. Um, you know, these guys all were a part of that PLSQ team of 
young kids competing week in and week out, going to Blainville and, and you're up for a fight uh, in Blainville. Uh, and sometimes, you know, they had good crowds there of 200 people, for example. Um, and these here, here, here we are, 16, 16-year-olds 16 going and, and competing. And, um, and I'll, I'll use the example of Stefan Karajovanovic, who, who was very young at the time. And I think the year after, he won an award from the PLSQ and, and uh, had a, went on to have a very good U-sport career. And, and now is with uh, the reserve team of Toronto FC. So um, I think if you ask those players, was playing in a high-level structured competition against top-level players, week in and week out for points, home and aways, did that play a part in where they are today? I think I think the the answer would be yes because they learned a lot. They learned a lot going to Blainville and and getting kicked by guys that are 25 that have played professionally or, or aspiring to be pro or in good states in their career. So, Jay, you've been extremely generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I just have a few quick questions for you before I let you go, if that's yes. okay with you. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite sport besides soccer? Oh, tough one. Quickly, off the top of my head, I'm going to say basketball. Okay. Um, what is your favorite soccer field in Ottawa? Ooh, George Nelms Park. Okay. I had a feeling. I have to um, give. I have to give it to Jim. He keeps the grass there very good. Okay, right on. Um, who has had the biggest impact on your career so far? Uh, Phil Dos Santos. Okay, because you know he's listening. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if he is or not. <laughs> so me and Phil, we kept in touch since Ottawa. We always. Oh, really? Eh? Uh, he he's someone that I that really mentored me as a coach um, and as a person. Uh, during our about three years together in Ottawa. And I always, he was one of my biggest coaching mentors, um, taught me a lot about everything about who I am as a coach today. Um, so I always kept in touch with him uh, on a professional level, but also just on a personal level. And we we would exchange texts or phone calls and throughout his journey and, and the odd times we would meet up, for example, when the Fort Lauderdale Strikers came to play the the Ottawa Fury, we would, you know, maybe grab a, grab a coffee or um, in, I remember there was a time when they traveled to Montreal when he was with the Whitecaps and we met in Montreal just to have a quick coffee. So we always stayed in touch and uh, he's someone that I really uh, admired because the impact he had on, on me as a coach. Um, who is the best player that you've ever coached? Best player I've ever coached. Wow. Is it going to be fair if I pick a sleep, a sleep, like a guy that I've coached at professionally? I mean, did you technically coach Jonathan David? I I was the head coach of his sported team. So, yes, let's say Jonathan David. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That that's, that that's, should be a no-brainer. <laughs> um, what's the better halftime snack, oranges or watermelons? Watermelons. Okay. Um, so, Winnipeg your your new city here um is known i found this out yesterday as the slurpy capital of the world that's so that's wow. a true thing do you have a favorite slurpy flavor you know what i'm that guy when i went when i used to get slurpees i would mix the flavors oh really eh? yeah so i would mix you know the the blue and the red or okay the, i would put all three the green the red i would just mix a contraption and it would always taste good so uh, <laughs> 
I mixed them. Okay, I like it. I didn't um, know about the Slurpee capital, so I'm gonna go out and get a Slurpee. Apparently, that's a thing. Like midnight runs to get a Slurpee in Winnipeg. Apparently, that's oh. a thing. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, another thing that I found out about when I've been to Winnipeg, I did not know about these things. Um, so honey dill sauce was invented in Winnipeg. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. So you're having a night out. It's 9 p.m. and you're hungry. Would you rather have some chicken fingers with honey dill sauce or an Ottawa shawarma? Oh, Ottawa shawarma by far. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Out of all the places I've been to in my in my journey as a coach, not even close. And I have this conversation with Tony all the time. Not even close. Nowhere compares to Ottawa shawarmas. Not even I mean, close. I mean, that's the, that's what we're the capital of. Ottawa, like yeah. Ottawa is the shawarma. I try to explain that to people. Like when I was in Edmonton, and they're like, "No, no." And I tell them, "Trust me, it's a different. It. Uh, it's a get different shawarma at any time of day. It's like the one thing, and it's the best. Yeah, yeah, hands down, the best." <laughs> um. So you've had a little bit of time in Winnipeg. Uh, who has the better weather, Ottawa or Winnipeg? Oh, Ottawa, but. To be fair to Winnipeg, from uh, my colleagues, uh, Damien and Patrick, who are from here, they say this has been the worst winter they've ever seen in Winnipeg. So um, it's, but I, I always tell them I can only go off by what I, what I've experienced. And uh, the weather has been, it's been a really bad winter here. So I'm going to say Ottawa. Well, maybe after the summer, I'll like ask you again and see if it's the same answer. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. You're picking players for a game of pickup. Are you picking Phil or Mark Dos Santos? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. But if I gave you the answer, what am I basing that off of? I mean, I suppose you got to pick Phil because he's your boss. But all things equal. I'm, I'm going to say Phil because I, I work out with him. <laughs> uh, we work out in the gym sometimes and he's a machine. So I'm going to say Phil. Okay. Okay. Uh, and last one. Um, if you could choose a country outside of North America to coach, where would it be? I'm going to be biased here and say Turkey as cutthroat as it is. uh, Yeah. I'm going to say Turkey. Okay. Right on. All right, Jay. uh, That's all of the questions I got for you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been, uh, it's been really fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. I listen to this podcast when I can and, and obviously been followed since the, since the beginning. So. Well, thank you. That's really nice to to hear. I appreciate that. Um, Now Atletico Ottawa takes on Jay Bindi and his Valor FC on Sunday, April 24th at 3 p.m. Jay, I hope you understand that well. I hope Valor has a bad time on Sunday afternoon (laughs) and loses. Otherwise, I really do wish Valor and especially you uh, the best of luck for the 2022 season. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your prediction comes true. Or I hope your prediction comes true. If it can't be Ottawa, I'm willing to say I hope it's (laughs) I really hope it's you and Valor. (laughs) 